0: We're reading this morning in the second half of our Bibles. Um, If you've received a church Bible as you've entered uh, our meeting place this morning, please turn to page 1114. If you're using your own Bible, it's Acts 18. Page 1114. And there you will find chapter 18, uh, and we're reading from the verse with the number 10 uh, against it. Sorry, uh, verse 18, with the number 18 against it. 18, verse 18. Now this book is called Acts, because it refers to the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, through The men that he'd trained alongside him for three years, they're called the Apostles. And how through these men, Jesus continues to speak to the world of the first century. uh, And uh, to save people and to build churches of those whom he has saved. So we read here in Acts chapter 18 about a man, Paul, one of these Apostles and his preaching of Jesus Christ in the beginning of the church in a place called Ephesus. Acts 18 verse 18 Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers or the Christians and sailed for Syria accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed he had his hair cut off at Cancarea because of a vow he had taken They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back, if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amen. To the Ephesians. Uh, and um, you're quite right to say, nowhere do I see Ephesians at the top of this page. But this is, um, in the book of Acts, uh, the recording of the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And as I was thinking about this this, this past week, uh, I was struck again about how fascinating it is to follow the history the development, the growth of the church in Ephesus. Uh, It is, I believe, one of, if not the church that we know most about in the New Testament. Now, if I'd asked you this morning, you'd have probably said to me, well, we know most in the New Testament about the church in Jerusalem. Well, I'm not sure, actually, that we do. Uh, I, As I thought about it, and I want to, to show you all the things or all the places in the scripture where this church in Ephesus is referred to. Here in chapter 18, we learn of its beginnings. And that was around the year A.D. 52, with 20 years after the death of Jesus. Then if you turn through into chapter 19 of Acts and we read part of it we have Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus over an 18 month period, and that began around AD 54 turn through again into Acts chapter 20 and now the year is about AD 58 and we're told of a meeting that Paul has with the elders of the church in Ephesus So, in other words, within six years of its foundation, here is a church that is established enough to have elders. And then, moving forward again uh, in the uh, history of this church, we come to the major letter that Paul wrote, the letter of Ephesians, that we're going to be studying together between now and the end of April. And it was written around AD 61-63. to Now that's not the end of everything that we learn about the church in Ephesus. Because later we come in the New Testament to two letters, 1st Timothy and 2nd Timothy. And while those were written to Timothy, the young pastor, they were written to Timothy as he pastored the church in Ephesus. Uh, the first letter was around AD 66 to 67, uh, and uh, then um, his other letter uh, came shortly after that. And then, at the very, very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and John is now writing, not Paul, and the year is AD 96. In other words, almost 50 years after the church is formed and the risen Christ speaks again to the church at Ephesus. And so I believe that we learn a vast amount about this church um, in the New Testament if it's not the church that we learn most of all about. And what I want us to do this morning as we prepare and get ready to look at his Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus i want us to get a mental picture of how the church began and so the title of our sermon this morning is church planting or if you want it more simply the beginning of the church in Ephesus the beginning of the church Or a church is planted in Ephesus. And where Christ plants his church there are three things that we need to note or we want to note this morning. We want to think about the whereabouts. Where precisely did Christ plant this church through the Apostle Paul? Secondly, the beginnings. How did Christ plant this church in Ephesus through Paul? And then thirdly, uh, with whom? With what kind of people? Uh, what kind of people did he save and bring into the church in Ephesus through Paul's ministry? That's where we're going this morning. First of all, the whereabouts of this new church. What was Ephesus? Where was Ephesus? What kind of a place? was Ephesus? Those are all important questions to ask when we come uh, to any part of scripture which has a geographical reference. It's true also of Colossae and the letter to the Colossians. It's true also of Galatia and the letter to the Galatians. So, we need to think about Ephesus, the place. And Ephesus was originally A Greek city. The Roman Empire by this time has displaced the Greek empire. But this city goes back to the Greek era. It's a place of Greek culture. A place where uh, a centre of Greek philosophy. A place where Greek language and literature uh, are uh, are studied. And uh, the language is spoken. If you'd gone around the city you'd have saw, you would have seen lots of buildings that were Greek in their appearance. And geographically, in other words, looking at the map of the ancient world, this city was located on the west coast of Asia. Now we've got to think of modern-day Turkey, the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Next, the Mediterranean Sea. So that's a little bit about its background in the Greek era. When the Romans conquered the Greek Empire, then this city became the capital of the local area. A bit like um, in the 17th century, when the Scots came to Ulster, It was Carrickfergus Fergus that was seen as the capital, not Belfast, uh, of the province of Ulster. And so Ephesus was the capital of a larger province or area. And this Greek city, now under Roman rule, it adopted Roman values, just in the same way as ancient Ulster assumed Scottish culture, Scottish language, Scottish values, when the Scots arrived in Carrickfergus in the early 1600s. Another similarity with Carrickfergus is that Ephesus was a busy port. Trade and travellers at that time flowed to and from and through the city. Ephesus was also a place of worship of the goddess Diana. And there was a huge temple there to her. It was seen as the, as the if you want to believe this, the pilgrim city for the goddess Ephesus. And indeed, that temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's the kind of place that Christ under Paul, plants a church in AD 52. And this church is still there at the end of the Old New Testament era 50 years later. So the church is planted in a thriving centre of population. Planted in a place of commerce. it's Planted in the seat of local government. A city of culture, of language and learning, but also a place of great spiritual darkness and superstition. And that was exactly the kind of place where Jesus Christ needed to be preached and needed a a church to witness to his Mm -hmm. salvation. Because it is Christ who is Lord, not Caesar. It is Christ who is wisdom, not Greek philosophy, or Greek literature, and Greek language. So that's the whereabouts of this church plant. Now that raises the question... Where should we expect Christ to plant churches today? Where should we as the church be thinking and praying about in terms of places where the gospel ought to be taken to and where we would desire to see groups of saved people gathering together, worshipping together on the Lord's day? Well, we have to say from this passage and also from Paul's wider ministry that we should think first and foremost in terms of large centres of population. In terms of large centres of population. It's important that the church exists in the rural community. But the rural community is not where the vast throngs of people are. And by and large I think it's true to say that the rural community is not the place where wickedness um, springs up in its its, uh, most extreme forms and spills out into communities. This past week the trouble in Northern Ireland has not been in our rural communities. It has been in our cities and in our large towns. And as we think of the task of planting churches, which is always the task of the church, this is not just New Testament. This is to be true of the church in every century, in every place where she exists. We are to think of Where does Christ want his kingdom to go to next? Where does he want the gospel to be taken to next? And as we think of that, we've got to think in terms of where are the centers of population? Where there is presently not a witness to Christ. Where there is presently not a church that lifts up Christ. In all his glory. In all his majesty. In his work as saviour. And as lord. And as king. Now let's think in terms of our own province. Think of our own church. We are responsible only. And primarily. Perhaps it's a better way of putting it. For what we do. As a denomination. But this moment in time. Northern Ireland. Um governmentally is divided up into 26 councils and in each of those councils there's a centre of local government and that's usually uh, if not uh, always the largest town within that council and we think this morning of the witness of our own church to the gospel across our province. And I mentioned Antrim and Balamina and Ballycastle Castle and Makerfeld and Cookstown and Gallen and Oma and Strabane. And what do all those places have in common? They are large centres of population. They're seats of local government. They are places of particular spiritual need. And they also have this in common, that there are places where our church does not have a witness to Christ. Now, we will not need to think in terms of an RP witness in all of those times, Because in some of those times there are solid churches that preach Christ, and that witness to Christ, and that reach out for Christ. And we should pray for them and we should support them in that work. But we should also be thinking, are there some of these towns, some of these places, where that is not the case? And when it is not the case, surely those are places where Christ will want to plant a church that will witness to his saving grace and to his Authority as king over all of life. Or we think of the south of Ireland. And there are 26 counties. That make up the south of Ireland. And of those 26 counties. In 23 of them. We do not have a witness to Christ. And to his saving grace. And in some of them. There is not any evangelical witness, any gospel witness by a church of any kind. Or we come closer to home again and we think of Belfast. Belfast, a city of 300,000 people when it's most narrowly defined. Nine electoral districts each with a population of about 30,000. And yes, there are lots of churches in Belfast, but increasingly Belfast is a place of spiritual darkness and superstition. The vast majority of people today in the city of Belfast will not be in a place of worship. The name of Christ, the worship of Christ, salvation of Christ, Will not feature in their thinking. And how many. Witnesses. Many centres of witness. Do we have as a church. In Belfast. Three outside the city. Trinity. New and Lisburn. One at the heart of the city. Shaftes Square. What are we doing about that? Are we praying? Are we planning? Are we making it a priority to reach the city? To reach the large center of population? That's the first thing that we learn from church planting in Ephesus. But then secondly, we want to notice here the beginnings of the church in Ephesus. How does the church in Ephesus begin? Because again we can learn from that for our day and for our situations. Well at the outset let us be clear that beginning a church is the Lord's work. That would be sang there in Psalm 87. It is the Lord who causes people to be born of the spirit. People to come to a sense of their sin. It's the Lord who brings people to repent and to believe. It's the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who builds his church. That's vitally important. And we must always recognize that human effort, denominational resources, ministerial gifts, personal zeal, none of those things will plant a church for Christ. None of those things. No matter how much of them we have, those things in themselves will not save people or create a church of Christ. But having said that, the Lord does use means. He does use his people. He does use you and me to bring the gospel to new people in our own community. To bring the gospel to new places and to plant churches. We want to see now that how here in Ephesus, the Lord who saves and the Lord who begins the church, he uses Paul. He uses this couple called Ananias and Sapphira. He uses a man called Apollos. And he uses local people. Local Ephesians. And he brings all of these groups, individuals, parties together. To plant a church using them. First of all Paul. The man as we were saying with the boys and girls who was dramatically saved years earlier on the road to Damascus. Of course that's vital. Because if a person is not saved they cannot take the message of Jesus as Saviour to others. And to be involved in the church and to Be involved in planting churches or to be involved in a church plant such as we are. We need to be saved. (coughs) And many of us this morning have had that glorious experience of Christ reaching into our lives and saving us. And boys and girls, you who are part of the beginning of this church, you need to be saved. You're not saved simply because your parents are Christians. Or because you're in a church where Jesus Christ is preached. You are saved when you respond to Jesus Christ in your own heart. And you turn away from your sin. And you look to him and you cry out, save me. And that's true of any adult, male or female. Church or non-church member who's not a Christian here this morning. So to be saved as Paul was is foundational. But then as we were saying with the boys and girls, he became a chosen vessel to bear the name of Christ among the Gentiles. And what happens now is this. Paul is winding up his second missionary journey. And he wants to get to Jerusalem by a certain date. And on the way from Corinth where he has been to Jerusalem, He uh, is close to Ephesus, and so he sort of, as we would say, drops in. Sometimes we knock on somebody's door and we say, I've just dropped in to see you. I can't stay very long, but I want to see how you're doing, just to keep the contact. And that's, in a very real sense, what Paul does here. He drops in at the end of his second missionary journey, uh, where he's been preaching in other places and establishing churches in Greece. And we read in chapter 18, verse 19, the passage that we read earlier, Paul entered the synagogue. That was the place of Jewish worship. And he reasoned with the Jews. They were people who were looking for the Christ and expecting him to come. And when they asked him to stay longer, he did not agree, but saying, I will return to you, God willing. So he went to the place where people were expecting the Christ to come. He talked to them about the Christ who has come in Jesus, and he couldn't stay any longer, but he says, I'll go back. Now, what we know of Paul leads us to say this. Paul didn't make this uh, initial visit to Ephesus on a whim. This man was a man of prayer. This man was a man of thought and strategy. A man who looked to the Lord to guide by his providence. And I believe that's why Paul dropped into Ephesus at this stage. He was testing the Lord's providence. And as he drops in, the Lord begins to open a door for evangelism. And I think that's an important aspect of church planting. It's important for us to go as a church and to test the waters and places. And we don't just do it of our own human thought. We do it after prayer. We do it after careful thought. We do it looking to the Lord to guide. If I can give an example, it's a bit like, it is like what happened here in Carrickfergus Fergus with the Trinity congregation. It was the result of prayer and thought. It is um, perhaps a better illustration again would be the work in Enniskillen, where the mission committee for a number of years went and tested the waters and were praying for almost a decade beforehand about Enniskillen. The Lord began to open a door in His providence. Church planting, you don't jump willy nilly over the place. We pray, we think, uh, we then go and we test the waters. And that's what Paul's doing here. So we need to leave Paul for a moment, this great church planting minister. Because now he's left Ephesus, recognizing that there's an opportunity, but he can't do much about it. And so we meet next Aquila and Priscilla. And they are both Jews like Paul they have come out of the Jewish church they have come to realise that the Christ that they had waited for and prayed for has now come in Jesus and so they are saved in Jesus and what a couple they are this couple are tent makers in other words they can take their job with them wherever they go and it seems that they don't have any family responsibility and they are mobile they are able to travel and we find them in the New Testament often traveling with Paul to assist him and support him in the work of proclaiming Christ and planting churches. And this couple are actually with Paul at the time he travels from Corinth to Ephesus. And we read in verse 19 of 18 of chapter 18, and he left them there. What a provision of God. A couple that he could leave there. And when Paul leaves Ephesus after his brief stay, what do they do? They continue the work. Now there's no mention of them going to the synagogue to preach. We're not told that Aquila ever preached. But they were there at the heart of the community in Ephesus. And they were there at the heart of the synagogue, participating in the life of the city and the worship of the synagogue. And you see, that's vital in church planting, that there are people that Christ puts into the local community or brings out from the local community who are at the heart of the local community and uh, who will be involved uh, in the life of the local community. And as they go to the synagogue, and as they get into the heart of this community, what happens? Look at verse 24. A certain Jew, Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, had come to Ephesus. They come into contact with this man. And yes, Apollos, he is the rabbi, he is the teacher. And they hear him preaching in the synagogue and as they listen to this man they say hold on we're not hearing everything we believe from this man this man has huge gaps in his understanding of the gospel now they don't say we can't go there anymore no what they don't write him off they don't take him aside after the service and tell him off They don't cut them off. Look at what they do. They take them to their home and they say, Apollos, can we explain to you some things that um, we have come to understand in Christ and that we sense you are missing in Christ? And so there's this interaction that takes place in their home. And they help him to come to a fuller personal understanding of Christ and of the gospel. And You read of that there in verse uh, in Acts chapter 18, um, verse uh, 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And so, here's another crucial part in this church beginning in Ephesus. This man goes back, no doubt, into the synagogue of Paulus. He's there for, a long, for, for some more time. And unknown to Paul, and while Paul is absent, this man then preaches a Christ that he now understands fully. And there's another link put in the chain in the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And then Paul returns, beginning of Acts 19. And this is probably a gap here of 18 months. And he returns to take up the work as he promised. And look in chapter 19, verse 1. He meets some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, We have not as much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now here's the intriguing thing. Are they the fruit of Apollos' ministry? almost certainly they are the fruit of Apollos' ministry in the synagogue. Because on hearing him, Apollos, they trusted Christ, but they share in his imperfect understanding and presentation of the gospel. Because that was his deficiency. He did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He'd only heard of the baptism of John. So like produces like. But you see again. Paul very wisely. And he's like Aquila and Priscilla. He pours time into this group of 12 men. Until this group comes to a fuller and clearer understanding of the gospel. And they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ brings a group to saving faith and they no doubt with others become the first members the seed families of the church plant in Ephesus. Is that not wonderful? Is that not heartwarming and encouraging and challenging how Christ saves sinners And he brings the church together in Ephesus by using all these various people. There's Paul, the church planting minister. There's Aquila and Priscilla, a believing couple. And they spend themselves on the gospel of Christ. And they're spent on the gospel of Christ, wherever Christ puts them. And then you have this Jewish teacher, this minister we might say. He's a flawed witness. And he um, comes to a full understanding of the gospel. Through this early ministry of Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And he himself produces a group of ten men. Or sorry, twelve men. Who have his imperfect understanding. But again with time and with patience. And with careful uh, instruction, these twelve men become a crucial part of the church and the beginning of it in Ephesus. What I want us to see this morning what I want us to take away this morning from this second point is this. Yes, Christ begins his church but he always uses means where Christ is going to begin a church we will find usually this combination is present there's a church planting pastor and there is a family or a number of families who are believers and interestingly Aquila and Priscilla they don't stay long term in Ephesus they move on somewhere else but they're crucial for a period And then he uses imperfect, flawed Christians like Apollos, who hasn't got everything clear in his mind. And then he produces Christ, produces new converts in the local community. And if we were to take time, we could illustrate that. Uh, But we don't have time to do so from uh, experience of church planting within our own denomination. But surely these are the things we've got to be praying for. As we think about those places in Northern Ireland where there needs to be a reformed evangelical witness, where there presently isn't one. As we think about the city of Belfast, as we think about the 23 of the 26 counties in Southern Ireland, which don't by and large have reformed evangelical witness. What are we to pray for? Lord, raise up church planting ministers. Lord, raise up a couple like Aquila and Priscilla who are mobile and who are flexible, able to move, who will be at the heart of the local community. Lord, bring us into contact with those who are like Apollos and are like the twelve, who have some interest in the things of God who have some concern for their souls but they're not yet believers. That's what we should be praying for because that is how Christ begins a church in Ephesus in the 1st century and in Ireland and anywhere across the earth in the 21st century. Let's notice then thirdly and we've only got a sentence or two in this. Because this takes us then to the heart of our study in Ephesus. Her members. The members. Who were the people that through this initial group then, the church planting pastor, Aquila and Priscilla, and these twelve men, who were the people that were reached through them? What kind of people does Christ save and add to his church in Ephesus? Well, Um, if you have no understanding of the book of Ephesus at all uh, you need to read the last couple of chapters of of Ephesians. It's uh, page 1175 and 1176 and 1177 those last three chapters because there we discover this that there are Jews who are saved by Christ and become part of this church those people from the Old Testament who had the hope of That the Christ would come and now they discover that Jesus is the Christ. And they come into the riches of all that they have promised and prayed for. But then there are Gentiles. And they are people who have never darkened a church door. And some of us here this morning. That has been our background. There was a time when we never darkened a church door. We didn't know the one end of a Bible from another. We didn't know what the synagogue was. We didn't know what salvation was but like as in Ephesus with these Gentiles God came to us in Christ he brought us into contact with people who began to invest time in us got alongside us prayed for us talked to us shared the gospel of us and if you're doing that with people now realize that is very very important because you can be sure that Christ is going to save people from amongst that group of people that you're working with, as He did here. And so you had very religious people from very religious background, and you had people from no religious background, and both both of them are brought together to know Jesus Christ. But then that's not all. You have masters and slaves. We're told when we read on in Ephesians very different social backgrounds. The master, well he had his own house, he had his own business. The slave, well he was an employee and he was considered very, very much beneath the master. But here Christ now brings together people from very different social backgrounds. And they're saved in Christ and they're united in Christ. Then there's male and female. We read off. And in that day, women were despised and looked down upon. And women were seen as lesser beings. But here in Christ, they're now saved. And Paul says, the man and the woman, they're not like this, where the man's up here and the woman's down here in the gutters. No, by God's creation and by in God's salvation, the man and the woman are equal equal, of equal value of equal importance and then there's people here saved who had a very different background as well, when we think of um, Ephesians or Acts 19 if we read on, we'd have discovered that there were people who were saved out of witchcraft and idolatry out of wicked wicked ungodly religion what a mixed bunch. How very diverse. And yet, he, and, but these are the people who are the members. In Christ, they are equal. In Christ, they're a new society. In Christ, all distinctions matter no longer. Nobody thinks, oh, he's the master. And oh, she, she's the slave. Nobody thinks of that any longer. One person is not better than another. One group is not more worthy than another. And you see, this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it deals with our sin in our hearts. But it also repairs the broken relationships that are in families, that are are there in society, that are there in communities. And that's what our province needs to hear this morning. In the back of a week of argument and atrocity and um, all kinds of things over a flag. And no matter how important a flag is, whatever flag it is, to any person, it does not have the power to deal with sin. It is in the heart. It does not have the power to unite people and to bring people together as one where they value one another. It is only Christ by his saving grace that can do that. And so church planting in Ephesus the whereabouts, the beginnings, the members it's what we're to pray for and work for in our day because our community and our land and our world is as needy today and needs to discover that in Jesus Christ we have the answer Amen Let's sing of the church As we turn now to number 48, number 48, the Psalms for singing, Uh, number 48, page 96, and we're singing 1 and 2, and then picking up our singing at verse 6, and we end our singing um, at the very end of the Psalm, through to verse 10, sorry, order of service, it says verse 9, but we will sing through to the end, 1 and 2, Missing out 3, 4, and 5, and then singing from 6 through to the end. This is a psalm about Christ and about His church. And the tune is number 41. Have I created a problem for you, Abigail? No, good. Okay, <clears throat> so the tune is number uh, 41, Abbeville, and we're singing of Christ, Great is the Lord. And greatly he is to be praised. The city is the church. And we're talking about looking at the city and seeing how Christ um, builds his church uh, through the ages. Let's stand and sing these verses. We thank you Lord Jesus for coming to this earth. For coming as the Christ. The one anointed of God. The one sent from heaven the one who is the saviour from our sin, the one who reconciles us to God and to one another in the great good news that Jesus died on the cross to take away the sins of his people. We ask that our faith and trust and confidence would be in him alone. And we pray then that, like Paul Like Aquila and Priscilla, we would seek to serve Christ in his church and in the world, wherever he places us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you began this church at Ephesus. We thank you for the um, way in which you brought individuals together uh, into this large, needy city, and how you saved people through the witness of your servants and how you use them to plant your church. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would use us today and our day to reach people in this town, in this borough, in this province, in this island of Ireland. And we pray even beyond that. And we ask, Lord God, that you would put us in the right place at the right time. We pray that we would be enabled to work patiently with people as Paul and Aquila and Priscilla did and to see them come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ the old distinctions and the old divisions are broken down and are passed away. And Lord, we pray this morning again for our community and for our province where there is such great need of this message of the Christ who saves and the Christ who reconciles. We pray that you would forgive us as a church that we have not been more effective in making this message known across our province, throughout our land. We pray that you bless your church today throughout the land to that end. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.